United States hippest comedy room, the Nerd Meld, right here at Nerd Meld Comics in the Nerd Meld Showroom and located in Nerd Melt Mall on Nerd Melt Sunset Boulevard uh, in the Nerd Melt area of Los Angeles, uh, where Nerd Meld is an all-encompassing influence on the liquor stores and uh, head shops and uh, tattoo parlors and uh, dicey eateries that, are, that line this block, uh, which give it its distinct Los Angeles feel. Once again, welcome one and all as we try to conjoin hearts and minds and uh, find some sort of solace in the, uh, uh, being together while the whole world crumbles around us. And we're going to forget about all that tonight. This is going to be like Joe fucking Gray in Cabaret. So, life is disappointing? Forget it. In here, life is beautiful. The orchestra is beautiful. Even the kittens are beautiful. Mm. I just see something on my, uh, my little desk here that I had not noticed. Up until this point, someone snuck up and gave this to me. I've been, of course, circulating through the crowd, as I always do, with the simple laying on of hands. There's many afflicted who come to my show, and I try to cure them with a brush from my uvula. And uh, if I can uh, harsh uh, down on someone with my uh, healing breath or maybe brush someone's brow in a, in a, 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 a you know, a a conducive way to uh, health, because I'm all about health. Uh, you know, some t- a small child came to the show a couple of months ago, uh, and he wasn't allowed to because we mostly perform in saloons. And uh, he only had uh, half of a head, and the other head was uh, half of it was a sandwich. And I, uh, I touched him, and I relieved him of the sandwich, and his head became whole again. It was a kind of a... I wouldn't use the word miracle. Proopical, I think it was a proopastrophe is what that was. If you're listening out in Proopcast Land, welcome to the show. This is an awesome time to do whatever it is you do. Often I encourage people to drink and get high, but uh, do you know what? Make pancakes this time. If you're in your car, pull over and get a pan and a small stove and go to a grocery store and buy... You can go Bisquick. You don't have to go Scratch. I'm not that strict. You know, do, you know laissez-faire, right? Picture yourself in a boat on a river made of syrup that's blueberry and stuff and you're at the IHOP and suddenly someone is there at the turnstile it's the dude in the car park who goes you can't park there that's near the you parked in the handicap spot and right next to the newspaper machine that no one uses you know there's a coffee shop here in Los Angeles called Norms and uh, I think their slogan is uh, CC Poete or something I can't remember they have an awesome slogan it's like where life happens or something like, like your life is happening at that coffee shop and there's one over in La Siena again and I have to say it's fantastic not only is the food uh, well let's you know the fare uh, I don't think you go to a coffee shop and go like man this is gonna be a meal that's gonna blow my fucking mind man uh, I'll have the shrimp scatter and do you have a one sauce I'm something of a gourmand <laughs> I demand flavor uh, but the cheeseburgers are off the deep end and uh, they're very nice there the thing about Norm's that's hilarious is you can go in at certain hours and it's so crowded they haven't cleaned up any tables and there's shit everywhere and there's a million old people in walkers and fucking newspapers on the floor and you're like it's 1971 I love this <laughs> <laughs> If the cast of McLeod walked in smoking menthols, it would not be a surprise at that joint. Mike Post is the score to Norm's Coffee Shop. (laughs) 
And uh, I have no idea why that came to mind other than to remind you uh, uh, to make pancakes. And if you're at Norm's right now listening in a booth, and I doubt it, uh, order pancakes. There used to be a place called Ships in L.A., and the awesome thing about Ships was they had toasters at every table because waiting for toast is one of the most painful and laborious and tragic moments of any coffee shop customer's life. You're, let's face it, you're drunk or it's early in the morning. There's only two scenarios where you're going to Ships. You don't, like, drive by Ships and go, fucking Ships, right, right. It's what a coincidence. I'm off from my job at William Morris Agency at 1.15, and Ships happens to be here. It's late, and you're high, and you go to Ships, and you put, and then you, you know, and I would get rye toast, because you know what I do? Boom, snickeroo, curveball. I came around the back, and you didn't see me snoodle you in the cul-de-sac. Um, everyone orders white and wheat. Yonskers, this is L.A. So my favorite rye toast ordering story, and... <laughs> I dare you to find another... Fuck you, Ira Glass. You don't, you don't have a story, bitch, that begins with my favorite rye toast ordering story. Okay? You have no anecdotes. You have no tales. There'll be no prophecies made that that's the first line of, but I produce them here. I produce them. Uh, I went to a, a place in uh, Cleveland, Cleveland, Nashville. There's a, there's, a de- there's a deli chain in Nashville, and I forget... Th- and it's called Nashville. And I'll pause for the non-Jews to catch up in the audience. I'm not Jewish, as I've said on the show. I'm half Jewish, which is no Jew at all here in Hollywood. But I know enough that I know what the word nosh means. And so there's a couple of them, and I've been to several. And you can get matzo bar and stuff like that. But why? Why not get grits? That's the fun part of being in a deli in the South. Like, you'll, I'll have a bagel with grits, y'all, and a biscuit. And I'll have the Tevye gravy, because tradition, right? And... I had the laser wolf. Um, in any case, thank you. That was for nobody, <laughs> evidently. Uh, one, my friends would go to uh, Canter's or whatever, or Jerry's, right? And they get confused. What should I get? And I'm like, why don't you get what you always get? Get the chach. Um, I was at the uh, Carnegie Deli in New York once years ago with Suli McCullough. And uh, he was actually pouring over the menu. And the menu is 50 pages long and has 1,000 items on it at the Carnegie Deli. And I went, I'll have a pastrami on rye with... Uh, and a, a Dr. Brown's cream soda. And then Sully was looking at the menu, looking at the menu, and the waiter went, Get the pastrami! What else is there? <laughs> you mean other than the 50 pages? You know, they got like burritos. Like, that's the scary part of Jerry's. I think we discussed this before on the show. If we haven't, uh, someone remind me. But the canners, you know, is, is strictly straight up, you know, the chocolate chip bupka and whatever racetrack. But like Jerry's has like enchiladas and pizza and flambe and shit like that. And like, co- you know, sand dabs and like shit that shouldn't be at a deli. A deli should have three things. Uh, uh, a sturgeon that's been sitting there since time began. <laughs> Some creamed herring that no one's going to get unless they're really old and have a boil. And... And those big Hebrew national fucking things of bologna and shit like that. Uh, if it has ham and shit, good for you. Uh, in any case, I'm glad you're eating uh, uh, with one of your agents. But um, th- So I, I was at uh, Nashville, but not at the one, like the re- uh, a regular one in, in Nashville. I was at the one at the airport, right? So I'm at the airport, and I'm like, oh, thank God, I got here in time. I'll have breakfast at Nashville, right? So I rolls in and I gets, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, the latkes and whatnot. And uh, I go, she goes, you want toast? I'm like, dig, I want uh, rye toast. And she goes, 
hon, we're out of rye toast. And I'm like, you're a deli. I don't know if there's a law enforcement agency that covers this, whose jurisdiction, whose bailiwick falls within this press, you know. Really? There's got to be a baked goods, boulangerie, fucking prefect of, prefecture du police that fucking comes by. Are you, you're a, a deli. You're not allowed to be out of rye bread. It's okay if there's no mayonnaise. If there's no mustard, eh, eh, yellow alert, yellow alert. I mean, wow. It's called Nashville, but it was in Nashville. So she was like, well, would you like another can? I'm like, do you have white? She's like, uh-huh. I'm like, I knew it. <laughs> you know what that means, right? And when she brought it, it was laid out in a cross shape. Maybe it was my imagination. <laughs> On the road again. I just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is refusing bagels to my friends. Someone put this on my uh, desk here. Sir, I'll just describe the surroundings here since people are like, a desk? You sit at a desk? Yes, like Spalding Gray or uh, uh, anyone who worked in the Polish bureaucracy of the 40s. I sit at a large, unimposing, middle-level bureaucrat fucking, you know, go home and drink too much schnapps and beat your goldfish desk. It's a Kafka-esque kind of affair here. The the nerd melt... The nud melt. The nud melt... The nut note, it's such a great place to play. The nut note has put uh, what appears to be a piece of fabric over it. And there's little paisleys in it, to be fair. Uh, and so they kind of dressed it up a little. We have a mic cord and stand that look like they're from the early 70s. Tonight, a bare black wall. Sometimes there's a weird movie screen. Sometimes there's, um, uh, how would you describe the art here? Thank you. Thank you for... Sp- we love playing Nerd Melt, and we love the people here. Uh, Danielle, everyone is so nice. Everyone's lovely. Uh, they know that my aesthetic is not their aesthetic, uh, because I, would, I read comic books. I did. The last comic book I read was probably Watchmen. When was that? What year was that? 58? 60? Jack Kirby had a hand in it. I remember that. The last comic book I read had the word Excelsior in the editorial page. <laughs> Anyways, uh, they often have art on the walls here, and he spared me from my value judgment, because I don't want to make a value judgment. I said, how would you describe the art? And someone in the back went, ha, 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 It's often like a dude who's been alone a lot, um, who has a color palette uh, that's limited, and uh, hasn't studied a lot of the classics. Let me put it that way. They're caught somewhere between Jackson Pollock and fucking Mobius in a hard place. You know what I'm saying? I don't know whether to make this full-on graphic or to go Stedman or to just fucking Alan Moore this, or to rock and roll. The f- I, I could frisetta you if I could draw figures <laughs> is a lot of what the artists are saying here. So uh, there's none tonight. It's a white, it's a blank wall with a black Mariah behind us. It's um, like the dawn of show business, really. <laughs> the dawn of filmmaking when they would go into a black hole and someone wrote me here. Oh, and they put a date on the top. My God, that's officious. Now it's got even more Kafkaesque. I've received a lot of gifts from the audience tonight, and thank you for everything you've given me. I'll be talking about it as we go along here. But someone put this on the desk, and I did not get it from them poisonly. And it says, 24th June, 2014, fade in. 
I should already be in mid-diatribe. Because rich white men are the ones that have created the dominant paradigm so that people with a uterus or melanin in their skin have to labor beneath their horrible chains and vicissitudes. Hang on. Where's my fucking watch? You're wearing it. Shut up! The older man sat at the table, sweating profusely, in the audience's direction. The crowd did not know who Bruce Dern and Lenny Reifenstahl were. There was unrest. Uh, despite your... Re- Sir, yes. Despite your... Re- your recent oh it's you Lewis now I figured it out despite your recent protestations to the contrary there can never be too much kiss talk on this podcast particularly when presented in your eminent and inimitable star respectfully yours well I know who this is this is Lewis because he signed it your fellow San Franciscan in Hollywood thank you Lewis he's given us so many lovely gifts over the years uh, including a, a copy of The Devil in Love by Gazat which is a book I highly recommend and uh, have you read it Greg I read you know I skimmed it uh, you don't skim The Devil in Love Greg you either fucking wholeheartedly dive in or you don't fucking read it at all. It's my wife's book, and I'm not allowed to take it on the road because I lost the first copy, okay? So why don't you climb out of my end of the fucking whale and go hide in your end, fucking Jonah, because this whale, yeah, we've all been swallowed by a giant fish, as the Bible called it, because they were inaccurate in the Bible days on the whole cetacean ichthyia thing. They didn't have Neil deGrasse Tyson to sort their shit out in the Bible days. That's why so many Bible people have been fucked off about Cosmos, because it contains facts and irrefutable theories. Uh, That's what their problem is. Because, you know, people, Jesus rode a dinosaur to stump a faggot. And you're like, no, he didn't, actually. Uh, And this is called, this is Paul Stanley. Uh, Paul Stanley's the lead singer of Kiss. He's the lover. He has a, a star on his eye and red lips. And uh, he, uh, his, uh, uh, his, his book is called Face the Music, A Life Exposed. And uh, this is, if you don't remember Paul Stanley from his myriad appearances on the show, uh, there is a SoundCloud that you can play where it's 45 to a, a minutes to an hour of him talking to different crowds all over the world. And a lot of it goes like this. Well, all right! Toronto! How many people here at the Nerd Mill like the taste of alcohol? Yeah, he has some of the greatest stage patter in the history of mankind. It's really good. This one's called Strata! And my favorite cold gin because it's revolting. I like gin, but I'm not going to drink it cold. Oh, that was the letter you gave me before. I was like, there's another letter in here. A.A. <laughs> Milne said, and A.A. Milne wrote, now we are six. So I think he knew from whence he spoke. And the entire Winnie the Pooh series, one through 54, that the last one has Harry Potter in it. <laughs> and the Wizard of Oz. That's how long that series went. A.A. Milne wrote, the marvelous thing about being disorganized is that one makes so many exciting discoveries. <laughs> I actually thought this was a different letter than the one I read before, having put it in the book but 30 seconds ago to do a Paul Stanley impression. My favorite Paul Stanley ordering rye bread story happened at Jerry's Famous Deli, uh, the one over that used to be next across from Cedar sinai uh, When Sinatra was passing, I was here, my wife was in London, and she called me, and uh, I was sitting outside Jerry's Famous Deli, the one on, um, is it Beverly? 
What's the street that it's on? It's on Beverly. Beverly at like La Cienega. It's not there anymore. They closed it. it when I first moved here in the 90s, before everyone had a phone, um, they, they had phones on the tables at Jerry's Famous Deli. Yeah, they fucking did. And you could use your calling card and call places. So I would call London, my wife, because it was the morning here and the, and the evening there. And she goes, where are you? And I went, I just laid out a box of Marlboros and a bottle of Jack Daniels. I'm keeping a death watch on fucking the chairman. And... <laughs> My wife and I were in there, and Paul Stanley came in, and he is awesome. He has all the hair. He wasn't wearing kiss makeup. But he, I, don't, I can't tell you how ripped the dude was. Like, the other person that I met that was that ripped was Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong and Paul Stanley are rock fucking hard, and you could bounce a fucking hay pants off their abdomen. Like that. Boing! Like that. And it would, make, it would make a whizzing noise as it shot into the air. Hide your eyes. Mind your eyes. Wear protective eyewear when bouncing a hay pants off fucking Paul Stanley's abdomen. Because it's like, boom. And he would just be like, well, all right! Out on the street for a living! Uh, Paul Stanley well let's just read some of the I like book jackets because anything that's written on a book jacket never happened and that, it's like reading a TV listing you know how TV listings will be, like you'll look at a movie that you watched like a thousand times and, and then you'll actually read the TV listing on your cable or on, on the thing or on your computer whatever and it, has, it bears no resemblance to the movie you've, you're so familiar with like you'll be watching for instance uh, like uh, the game with Michael Douglas and it'll go like disgruntled executive finds that his world is turned over when he participates in a bizarre ritual <laughs> No. No. Killdozer. An out of work tractor driver. No one's seen Killdozer. Why are you taking your glasses off, grandfather? Because it's white on red paper. Next to blue on red, there's nothing less legible and readable and fucking discernible than white print on red paper. Jesus fucking H, Paul. I'm going to read it as Paul Stanley. He has kind of a New York accent. Well, people say I was brave to write such a revealing book, but I wrote it because I needed to personally reflect on my own life. I know everyone will see themselves somewhere in this book, and where my story might take them is wild shit! Well known for his onstage persona, the Star Child. <laughs> if you're listening in Europe right now or South America and you don't know that Paul Stanley was the Star Child, wow. <laughs> Evidently, it was well known. <laughs> <laughs> to whom? <laughs> to white guys of a certain era. <laughs> that carried on to another sadder era and that carried on to reality television where Paul did not participate. It was Gene. <laughs> Paul Stanley's written a memoir, a Romana Clef, a picaresque romp through Kiss's early stylings. Somebody say stop. Stop. Oh, I hope it's juicy. <laughs> I hope it's Axel Rosie. Yeah. Uh, Alice Cooper came to the event that night too Afterwards he joked What you guys need is a gimmick (laughs) 
I know we're gonna. Will you find Alice Cooper just for a second? I have two Alice Cooper songs on there, and I demand one of them right now. God damn it! This book's better than I dreamed. <laughs> Fuck you, Alexander Dumas. <laughs> Osculate my man bag, Jane Austen. Up, <laughs> uh, yeah. This one schools out because it's fucking the first day of second day of summer. Can that go louder, or is it gonna? gonna get that dangerous fucking good book face the music with Paul Stanley it's funny that a group like Kiss would say face the music (laughs) (laughs) music really okay (laughs) music Face the loud ass fucking amps. Uh, Jason, was it, gave me this PG Wodehouse book? No, Jason gave me this. I'll get to you. What was your name who gave me the PG? Jeannie. Oh, Jeannie. Sorry, darling. It was another cat who gave me October 64. Thank you, Jeannie. Are you still over at... Uh... Yeah. yeah, fantastic. <laughs> PG Wodehouse, uh, also highly recommended. This is Birdie and Jeeves. Uh, that's Bertie Wooster and his uh, steady manservant Jeeves. There's many good versions of this. There's an awesome version with um, Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry from the 90s. That's quite good indeed. Someone say stop. Stop. Now you have to understand, Bertie Wooster is a nitwit, and he's <laughs> extraordinarily wealthy, and he's English, what we would call, I think, a hooray. Uh, and so he doesn't know anything about anything, and he stumbles through these books, and Jeeves does everything. Let's see. Um, if I could read it. Uh, trouble with the print, Greg? No, it's regular. <laughs> Thirty-five point Helvetica on regular cream-colored page. I just uh, been dancing a lot. <laughs> what on earth? She demanded. Did you do that for? It was no business of mine, of course. But I couldn't help feeling that she might have been a more tactful approach to what threatened to be a difficult and delicate conference. And I could see that the policeman felt the same. There was a good deal of mud on his face, but not enough to hide the wounded expression. You might have scared him out of your wits hilling about like that. Poor old Bartholomew. Did the ugly man nearly squash him flat? (laughs) Again, I missed the tactful note. In describing this public servant as ugly, she was undoubtedly technically correct. 
Only if the competition had consisted of Sir Watkin Bassett, Uli Prosser of the Drones, and a few more fellows like that, could he have hoped to win success in a beauty contest? <laughs> Are we to understand that he knows people named Sir Watkin Bassett and someone named Uli... <laughs> oh, I got it wrong. Oofy Prosser. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. Thank you for this, Jeannie. It's magnificent. Uh, and this one's called The Code of the Woosters. And then uh, another fellow. What was your name, young man? Will. Will. And where there is Will, he gave me this book, and it's uh, by David Halberstam, who passed um, last year, I think. Uh, October 64, it's called. October 1964. David Halberstam wrote a series of very good baseball books. Uh, one about Ted Williams and all his friends. Are you going to go into a long baseball jam now? And me and my friends are going to have to stop and just eat fucking instant coffee out of a jar. And <laughs> watch Netflix for a while during this part of the show. Or try to forward to the part where we think you'll pick up the thread of life again. And leave aside your middle-aged white man games. And your fucking hallowed, cherished, fucking bullshit Kevin Costner fascist ass fucking... <laughs> Fourth of July exclusion of fucking black people and women fucking mentality that you fucking promulgate under the guise of having a random note of feminism here and there. (laughs) Is that what we can expect, Greg? What you can expect is a free fucking podcast every Monday. (laughs) Somebody says, no. The St. Louis Cardinals played the uh, New York Yankees in the 64 World Series. What makes this book good, and I stopped on the picture, so I have to keep it. There we go. Is that uh, uh, Bob Gibson played for the 64 Cardinals, and that the 64 Yankees are the last great Yankee team. Mickey Mantle's on that team. Mickey Mantle, for your information, uh, drank as much as any ball player could drink, and was a superb ball player, and, and kind of lovable. He had that sort of... Uh, how do you put it? Uh, kind of male hustler, gay porn star look about him, you know? Like, really, you know, a cow look and really good looking and buffed and shit like that. Like, oh, shucks, is that my penis? Is it in you? Golly, you know, like that. <laughs> that kind of. He was from Oklahoma and shit, and he liked country music and whatnot. And he partied hard uh, in New York uh, all through the 50s and uh, was, was a super ball player. It was on the, his last great team because he got old young. He was there in probably mid, mid-30s when he retired, right? He only, you know, Willie Mays played till he was like 42 or whatever, but uh, Mickey didn't. Uh, but Mickey was a fun player. And uh, if you want to carry on the white guy uh, superiority fucking um, ESPN bullshit douchebag slickback hair Harvard MBA asshole fucking George Will point of view that is sports... Um, <laughs> You could go even further and say Mickey Mantle's card was always worth more than Willie Mays' card, even though they were exact contemporaries. They started the same year, and Willie Mays ended up with a great deal more numbers uh, than Mickey Mantle did. Mickey had many more world championships and whatnot, um, but his card was always more popular and sold for a lot more. Uh, so you make the value judgment on that. I'll just sit back here and let you think for a second, and then, okay, we're done. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. No, this is, this is baseball writing, and it's not, you're not going to... All right, hip, no. he was a walk-on player at Western Michigan, and he did not do well there. And now the crowd has left the building. <laughs> Here comes the next sentence. But then one summer, he played for a very good team in an amateur league in Chicago, the Cook Spacecraft. It got better, Sportscraft. I made it better. <laughs> it said Sportscraft. I made it Spacecraft. <laughs> if there was a ball team in the late 50s called Spacecraft, I want to fucking know about it. <laughs> and was it in Area 51? It had to have been in New Mexico. Uh, Thank you very much for this book, Will. I really appreciate it. But this is something that has moved me to the very quick and uh, broken the horrible obsidian blackness that is the shell of my heart that once existed when I, at one time in my life, cared about people and their feelings. We should start the show, we really. Uh, And that was a a young man tonight. 
uh, I met him right before I came on stage, and he wrote me a letter here, and I'm going to read it to you. His name's Jason, and he wrote, Dear Proops, uh, I'm just going to write in Mr. <laughs> I knew you were a bit familiar. Uh, those, these last months, I have been hired, I won't read the whole thing, to paint a large mural in downtown L.A. for an apartment complex and was turned on to your podcast via Jay Moore's show. Uh, awesome, because Jay Moore is a, very much a friend of this show. Uh, all of our friends out there in podcast land. <laughs> your Jen Kirkman and your Joe Rogan and your Adam Carolla and your Allison Rosen and your Doug Benson and your Jay Moore and your Jackie Cation uh, and your Kevin Pollack and your J- Greg Fitzsimmons and your <laughs> David Feldman and your uh, Jimmy Pardo. There are so many lovely, lovely people. Um, I proceeded to listen to probably every while I painted. Uh, what I love the most is how honest, thank you. Um, even when you shit on something I love, I know it's an honestly taken shit. <laughs> people like a lot of things, like people like Game of Thrones and shit like that. And people get really mad at me if I misunderstand their liking of Game of Thrones. Now I get it. I just read to you from a book called October 1964 that to anyone in this room, this keeps the wonky table leg even. (laughs) There is no other purpose for this book in your life. You would not open it, nor would you read it, nor do you care who Mickey Mantle is in any way or Bob Gibson, even though Bob Gibson, you need to know this. I'm joking. Uh, (laughs) Then there's P.G. Wodehouse, and uh, I think some of you in the audience were excited by that, and were like, oh yeah, I I should really read that. I've always heard about that. And then others of you were like, something's on my phone that's about me. (laughs) And then there was the Paul Stanley book, which I think across the board every one of us wishes we had right now. (laughs) It's within the sound of my voice, because you think, I kind of do have to read it. If Alice Cooper told you you need a gimmick, Alice Cooper wore a boa constrictor on stage and at the end of the show chopped his head off with a guillotine does anyone remember that he would chop his head off with a guillotine on stage and it would fall into a basket and the crowd would go fucking bananas and then he'd come back out and sing fucking schools out and shit so about your burgeoning career you might want to rethink where you're coming from as my friend Matt Weinhold once said, pageantry. Pageantry. Think about it. Anyone can come out on stage and just do a thing, but chopping your own head off at the end of the show, it's fairly amusing. Even to a crowd of people drunk on Pap's Blue Ribbon beer. As a token of all the effort you have put forth in entertaining and enriching my day, thank you, Jason. I was busy swirling paint on concrete. I give you a long overdue portrait of Kittens McTavish. Kittens, you have to get up and see this. I'll put you there so you can look at it. Um, are we really pretending that the cardboard cat's going to look at the picture? Um, you pretend your animal at home's concerned about your emotional state. <laughs> when really they want to take a shit. <laughs> They've been home all day while you were at the studio. You know what I'm saying? When you get home, they're like, oh, and you're like, oh he's, he's happy to see me. Wants to go out. <laughs> Wants to go out. If your cat loves you, your cat will sleep on your head. That's how you know they love you. Other than that, if it's not doing that, it's tolerating your existence. It actually, you're not the right owner for it. It happens all the time. I don't mean to be, I don't mean to be a fucking pussy whisperer or whatever, but I'll fucking tell you that... You know how cats act with people. Some people come in the house and cats are like, <clears throat> and then other people go and grab it and start petting it, and it does that. 
It acts like it's going to explode with death and bile. And then sometimes they just skitter off entirely and fuck off and they won't come out the whole time someone else is there. And it's not because of the music of the cigarettes. It's because they fucking hate them. Because then another person will come over and they run up and run up between its legs and now they're all over it and they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't know your fucking cat and whatnot. And, they, and you're like, his name's Mr. Snickletoots or whatever. Because you're an 80-year-old woman from a story from the 40s. As my time in L.A. comes to end, it seemed fitting to say... Did Thomas Wolfe write the last part of this? John Fonte's letter to Greg. I looked at her hirachis. I didn't have enough money to buy food, so I just bought cookies and drank a bunch of water. Someone in the car went, oh my God. Do you have rye bread? We're out of rye bread. This is a comedy show. Never out of metaphorical rye bread. Where are you going back to, Jason? You were over there when we first spoke, but you've moved over there now. San Diego or Pacific Beach? I don't know yet. Somewhere in San Diego. La Jolla? That means the jewel. It was made by white people. No Spanish person named La Jolla. That's the best part of La Jolla. You don't know. It's just somewhere. Why San Degraded? I'm sorry? San Degraded? You don't know San Diego's most humorous nickname? No. San Degraded. Why, why San Diego and not other places? Because of the, uh, the an- wild animal park? I would love to stay here, but my children live near... Ah, dig, dig. No more. Say no more. I, I, I find your story has moved my heart. But, but beyond that, um, what I'm about to show you is going to um, blow your mind. The painting's probably still a tad not dry. I think you'll find the words tacky. Although uh, the painting isn't tacky in any way. And we'll take a couple more days to really dry out, so handle as such. Um... What do you got queued up there? Anything? Mm, it's not really a Gap Band kind of painting. It kind of is. Which Gap Band is it outstanding? Well, we've had that enough on the show, but let's have it anyway. I'm going to show you uh, Jason's painting of Kittens McTavish, and it's ri- it's also it's a little wet, so it's fantastic. <laughs> It's got, it's Kittens McTavish wearing a spiked helmet and holding a baseball bat, and he's wearing a bunch of badges. One has a pair of spectacles, one has a glass of vodka, and one has three exclamation points. You want to have a look? Are you all right? Okay. (laughs) I love it, and thank you, Jason. I almost started crying backstage. It's so cool. It's really, really cute and really, really fun. And so very awesome of you to have done that. Thank you very much, Jason. Uh, are you selling anything? Uh, I mean, I work for myself. Yeah. You work for yourself. Yeah. But this website you've got here? That's me, yeah. Uh, www.jasonlooper.com. J-A-S-O-N-L-U-P-E-R.com. Thank you very much for this, Jason. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Working all day. And moving to be near your children. And shit like that. Uh, it's very, very kind of you. And it's a lovely painting and very creative, and everyone liked it. <laughs> I'm so glad we're all here for the opening of his art exhibit at my show. 
Can you? I'm not. I promise I won't uh, um, d- ask for any more music. Is there anyone back there that can get me another drink? While I didn't, they they go. Do you want it on stage? And I'm like, I'm not Dan Herman. It's it's near the China White. I hire it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the two people. Um, if you want to write us, you can write us at smartestatespecialthing.com. If you want to write me, uh, you can write me at fanmailforgreg at gmail.com. Um, if you want to buy my video and help me, I don't ask for money for the show. I know you guys paid to get in here tonight, but in general, the show is free to download. And as is the Greg Proops Film Club, which I invite you to listen to in our newest uh, episode is uh, Woman on the Verge, is it? Yeah. I think it's Woman on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which is a brilliant film by Omotivar. So I urge you to watch that in any case. Uh, and the Greg Poops Film Club is free to download. And we're, our next Greg Poops Film Club is uh, a week from today at the uh, Cine Family on Fairfax Avenue. And we're going to show uh, John Huston's 1975 classic, The Man Who Would Be King, with Sean Connery and Michael Caine and the immortal uh, Saeed Joffrey. And if you want to see Michael Caine's wife in a movie acting, that's where you get to see her. He, I believe you met her around then or, or before then, but uh, Shakira Kane is in the movie and plays the lovely Roxanne, the most beautiful woman in Asia. Uh, any case, uh, if you want to buy Live at Musso and Frankie Kuhn, my website, gregproops.com, and uh, it is good fun, and, it's, and it's, it's beautifully shot, if nothing else. Never mind my material or the importance of how great my fucking message is to America's fucking survival. <laughs> it looks fucking cool. It really does. Uh, let's see. Coming up, we'll be at the Improv in Atlanta. By the time this comes out, I might have already been there, but if you're traveling from this room to Atlanta this week, and uh, if you are, I question... Both my decision making and yours, because I was offered a gig in Atlanta at the end of June, beginning of July, and I went, yeah. And then I remembered, yeah. Why not just go on the 4th of July, Greg, and really fuck up your life for all it's worth? Thank you so much. Bit skimpy on the fucking drink, but all right, no, I'm, thank you, thank you. I'm joking. That'll be all. Um, Atlanta's going to be warm. Let me put it that way. I looked at the weather today on the, uh, you know, what is it? Weather dot whatever. And, uh, or, you know, cloud.com or whatever the fuck people look up weather on and shit. And uh, it said 89 and rain. And you're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm a salamander. I'm a mama papa coming for you. If you're an amphibian, it's the best weather you've ever been in in your life. You're like, I want to have sex. I want to give birth to a gelatinous bag of eggs. Uh, I want to swim around and eat uh, mealworms and whatnot. I, I, I want to have a three-chambered heart. There's so many things I want to get to. I want to have a, del- a, a delightful coat that's glistening and has multicolors on it and shit. I want to live in a cave and have weird puffy eyes that, that, that don't see, that are, that are weird translucent pinky things that freak everyone out. I'm a salamander. I have so much to do. And then you get there and you're like, oh, fuck, I'm human. And everyone's fat. And there's Dr. Pepper everywhere. <laughs> I think you found it's Coca-Cola and why not, Greg? Greg. You know, Greg, we went to your show and all. No, it, I love Atlanta. It's great fun. It's good fun. Uh, it's the location, though, right? <laughs> Did they have to put it in the South? <laughs> If Atlanta was in Michigan, you'd be like, fucking all this barbecue, this is crazy. (laughs) Right? If Atlanta was in Cedar Rapids, you'd be like, fucking this is cool. (laughs) Martin Luther King and whatnot, Jimmy Carter, black people and shit. 
you're in Atlanta, you're like, mm. Every time something cool happens, a truck drives by and goes, and someone's named Deke or whatever. That was a joke. That was for my friend. Uh, we'll be at the Improv in Atlanta, GA. Uh, the 30th is Greg Cruz Film Club, The Man Who Would Be King. And if you haven't seen The Man Who Would Be King, here's a short preview. Peachy, I'm hotly shotty for the way I've acted. Uh, there's also a scene where a woman is trying to come on to Michael Caine and they promise not to be with any women. And Sean Connery walks in and goes, I so help me fucking John Huston's Jesus. Sean Connery walks in and goes, sure. When you, if you come, you'll see. That didn't come out right. When you come... It's all gone horribly wrong. It's all, it's all gone Paul Stanley shaped. Come on, Hollywood! How many people here like the act of physical love? <laughs> well, he says alcohol. I assume he's prissy. <laughs> I've made myself hysterical. Uh, Then uh, in July, we'll be at the uh, Just for Last Festival in Montreal from the 22nd to the 26th. Then we'll be at Bar Lubitsch before that. Wow, that was poor. Poor, poor chronology on my part. The 9th of July, which is only five days after the birth of this great country. Birthday, America! Uh, on July 9th, we'll be at Bar Lubitsch. That show's free. Inter- interesting that you came to this one. No, you're the hardcore people, and I love you for that. Uh, then the 22nd through the 26th, we'll be in Montreal, uh, in Quebec, where. Uh, ooh, someone squealed. You know why? Because my heart will go on. I don't know if I've discussed it on the show before, but Quebecers, their uh, French uh, people came over in the late 1500s, I'm guessing, Cartier, whatnot, and so they have a distinct French accent that the French are completely patronizing towards. Um, Quebecers, if they speak English, have a hilarious accent that you've heard Celine Dion speak, and you have to admit that it's amusing, because she'll say... Renee, he has taught me how many times like I could love. And uh, you sing the song, and this song is just a beautiful melody. I know. Everybody's like, yeah. They're so lovely there. And they have poutine and uh, salt beef. It's going to be fun. Uh, then on the... Uh, is everything about food with you, Greg? Well, if it's not about drink, you know. <laughs> The 31st through the uh, 2nd uh, will be at the Punchline in San Francisco, uh, in my beloved city. When the lights go down. Um, yeah, I'm going to sing Journey to destroy what little goodwill I had left. <laughs> it was all going so well when I was crawling on the floor. <clears throat> She's just a small town square. <laughs> Living in a lonely burrow. <laughs> the 
The punchline in San Francisco, and that'll be fun. We're going to do the podcast on the 31st. Uh, August will be at the Gilded Balloon in Edinburgh on the 5th and the 19th at the uh, Edinburgh um, International Comedy Film and uh, uh, Salmon Row Festival. <laughs> uh, also at that same festival, uh, wh- where you'll find five million comedians drunk and teetering down the street looking for bad cocaine. <laughs> Um, we'll be at the What Does the Title Matter Anyway show. That's the Whose Line Is It Anyway show. That's what we've ended up with as a title. Evidently, there was uh, litigious forces at work. So we weren't allowed to call it Whose Line Is It Anyway. So now it's called What Does the Title Matter Anyway. Evidently, I'm in the fourth version of Credence. There's no original members in this. It's, it's just me and a bunch of dudes I met. And a girl named Champagne. No, it's going to be Colin Mockery and me and uh, Clive Anderson from the English version. Josie's going to do some nights. Stephen Frost. We're all going to be there at the Gilded Balloon, and we're doing a couple weeks, the 6th through the 19th. Then I'll be at the Helium in Portland in September, and then later in the year we'll be in Sacramento as well, and then back in San Francisco, we hope, for New Year's. Uh, Whose line is it anyway? On the road with Ryan and Jeff and uh, Joel Murray. We're going to be in Ontario in September, Hamilton, Ontario, Kitchener, and Niagara Falls. As I've discussed on the show, if you wear glasses... Niagara Falls is the worst (laughs) tourist attraction that you could possibly visit. When you go to the Grand Canyon, you don't go, I can't see! There's moisture all over my eyes! You go, oh, look, a burrow. And the burrow goes, and you're like, oh, and you're all cuted up and shit, and then you get an enchilada, and then you, you know what I mean? It's fun. It's fucking fun. You go to Niagara Falls, if you wear glasses, you walk onto the streets of Niagara Falls. You don't have to be anywhere near the falls. The falls are, I, I don't know the, the total tonnage of the falls' uh, displacement of water, but it's an extraordinary amount that's indescribable to man. That's why it's been a place of wonder and majesty for all these countless millennia. So much waterfalls that you can be five, ten miles from Niagara Falls and walk outside and go, <laughs> I walked down to the falls after the, uh, the, we did the show, and then uh, uh, we went back to the rooms, and the next morning, I thought, God damn it, we, here, I'm going to the falls, I'm going to see them. I hadn't had breakfast, if you know anything about me, this is like 12 years a slave. <laughs> I had not had breakfast. Nor had I had coffee, nor was there any product in my hair. I took a shower, I put my coat on, sport jacket, kind of a, you know... A, Navy, blue, you know, some boots. It's casual. You know, it's the morning and you're supposed to be there. Après show the next morning. What does one wear when you, you haven't eaten, you know, and you woke up and then that. And my room, my room was, uh, uh, when we checked in, they were like, oh, uh, by the way, everyone has a few of the falls from their room. And I was like, fucking yeah. I get to my room and there's like a parking lot structure. <laughs> That's seven stories tall, and then on the other side of it, you can see the falls, and I'm like, this is the most awesome parking lot in front of a waterfall I've ever seen. (laughs) I took the elevator down, the lift, if you're English, and I walked my ass down to the falls. Before I got 20 yards on the streets of the city of Niagara Falls, this is on the Canadian side, by the way, and by the way, if you're going to go, and should you think about going... 
you've got to rethink a lot of things in your life. There's so many places to go that are better than Niagara Falls. But what about the huge displacement of water and the immense movement of the fucking molecules and the, and the uh, positive ions in the air and the ozone and, and all that? Yeah. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to, like, uh, the city of France, but it's beautiful. And uh, there's olives and whatnot and wine. Um, there, we ate at a place in Niagara Falls called... Uh, what, what, it, it's a fake Café Macaroni. It was a restaurant called Cafe Macaroni. First of all, macaroni is no way to build a. F- it is not the cornerstone of a restaurant. It would be like if I called my restaurant Restaurant Hot Dog. Macaroni is easily made, cheaply made, in a 49 cent box with water and shit like that. You don't even have to have cheese if you buy the fucking box because it comes with a little horrible. Uh, like Brazilian cocaine packet of orange powder <laughs> that you rip off and then you inhale slightly and uh, 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 and there's no getting it out of your nose or your hands till the end of time. It's like you for freebasing Cheetos. It's fucking horrible. And then macaroni's not the basis for where food begins. Macaroni is a side dish and sometimes a main dish and now they fucking tart it up and, and, and you know, slut it up and like, ooh, macaroni, wee wee, ooh, ooh. We put bacon in it and whatnot. But halfway through a bowl of macaroni and am I wrong or am I fucking right as I always am? Is samey. Halfway through macaroni, it's like a stack of pancakes. You're like, fuck, this is a lot of the same If a potato or a lobster showed up in the macaroni, which they do in Canada, that's how they do it. They make macaroni, but they put like five pounds of shrimp in it. And then you're like, fuck it, it's a shrimp dish. With some errant fucking pasta that got in. We ate at Cafe Macaroni and I cried over my food. I cried. Because it was fucking exquisitely awful. Tourists want two things, to gamble and to eat awful food and to be around people who dress as poorly as them so they don't feel shitty about how they look. Thank you for Jeannie. There's two people laughing at this. Everyone else is all quiet now. I can't help it that you wear mandals and have a knapsack that has a fucking water bottle thing on it. Because you suck. You suck. You suck. No one has to dress like that. No one has to dress like that. Wear a sport coat and drive a convertible. Flick a cigarette out your window and throw your shades to the fucking parking lot attendant. That's what you should be living your life like. But I have low self-esteem. Mandals aren't going to help. A backpack that has a water bottle thing that you can put the water bottle in. Well, I can put my water in there. You know what you can also put in there? The fact that no one wants to fucking talk to you at parties. Read some books and go some places. Have sex on a cliff with a Cretan girl. And I don't mean a Cretan, I mean a woman from Crete. You know what I'm saying? Fucking get it together immediately. Everyone that's listening, immediately get it together. Fat people in sandals fucking walking around going to Cafe Macaroni and then there's a giant inflatable gorilla in Niagara Falls and all these horrible bars and shit. We went, we were staying, I don't remember the fuck we were staying, but we we went to the downstairs bar and it was a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse disco. (laughs) 
And the music was too loud. It's like, Ruth's Chris isn't a disco. Play Dean Martin and let's all have a fucking drink, shall we? And eat some mushrooms that are unspeakable. Let's do that. You know, you go outside to smoke a joint and there's a fucking like... And then there's a boat called the Queen of the fucking Mist or something. It's shocking what they've done. Let me put it this way. When you take a burrow to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, there's not a casino at the bottom of the Grand Canyon called the Keep Hopi Alive. All right? It's fucked. It's fucked what they've done to that waterfall. And that waterfall didn't deserve it. You know what that waterfall was doing? Flowing. And then along came Mary and shit. Right? Uh, So my glasses were covered with fucking foam. And then I get down to it and I'm looking at it and it's magnificent. And now by the time I go back to my room, I'm literally as if I've taken two showers with my clothes on. And I stopped at a Starbucks. And I bought a, a latte. A, what, which size? Regular. And does anyone need 20 ounces of milk? Like, unless you're a suckling dolphin. Unless you've just been born and you live in the sea. How much milk can you process? And I'm not lactose intolerant, but that's a lot of milk. The little one. The sex, whatever it is. How many ounces? And then I had a croissant. But Starbucks does this thing with their croissants where they're like shat out of a stone giant or something. <laughs> they're never flaky. They're never delicious. And you, no matter how much you dip them in the coffee, which I fucking did, no matter how much you dip them, they don't get soft. They're like Captain Crunch Resolute. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> no food at this point. I, my, my story is much too sad to be told. Um... Uh, so I gets down there and I looks and it's fantastic and the water's moving everywhere and you, and you can't believe the swiftness with, what, with which the water is moving toward the falls. And the rapidity is only revealed by you pick up uh, an object on the shore and you watch a certain wave or whatever and you go, oh my God, that shit is flying down. And then it hits the longest fucking drop you've ever seen in your life. Well, unless you've been to the source of the Blue Nile. Unless you were with Hanning and Speak's expedition in the 19th century. Then you've seen a swifter fucking... Or you you rolled up the Orinoco with fucking the end of Pizarro's crew. In any case, uh, at this point I can't see. And I've got my handkerchief out and I'm wiping my glasses and there's children laughing at me and there's Japanese people taking pictures of me and I'm like, all right, cool it, you know. And uh, and they're all wearing windbreakers and mandals and I'm in like a a sport coat and a cravat, you know. At at this point, my leopard hat is like completely saggy and soggy and shit. My croissant has has given up and I I stride manfully back to my room. And no, I didn't change clothes. Fuck you. I fucking went in my wet clothes on the bus. And, uh, but it was, it was gorgeous. But I I just, so we're there uh, in September. Really, we're playing Kingston again? I thought we were never playing Kingston again. He's having a conversation with himself. September 29th with the Grand Theater in Kingston. Kingston's gorgeous. It had a prison and a college. I don't know how to describe it to you, but Kingston's really cute. It has bookstores. And the War of 1812 fought on that very lake. Really, Greg? It's two years since the centenary, or bicentenary. Why bring it up? 
America's most forgotten war. There's a reason for that, Greg. It's not sex hate. <laughs> Why don't you bring up Vietnam? Then we can have... <laughs> bring up the War of 1812. It's like, gentlemen, put more powder in here. Okay. <laughs> the reason the War of 1812 is sexy is it's the uh, North American branch of the Napoleonic Wars, right? Theoretically, we would have been on Napoleon's side since we were fighting the British, except that we didn't have a big enough force to send to a fucking England and they burned the White House to the ground. But other than that, <laughs> pretty big war for us. The president was forced to leave on horseback. Wouldn't that be awesome if, a, if the Iraqis attacked Washington and Obama had to leave on horseback? <laughs> Think about that. Consider that. Consider the American president, Madison was it, left on horseback during the War of 1812 and rode down the road hoping no one would fucking recognize him. That's how primitive shit was in 1812. However, in 1814, we took a little trip down with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. Uh, October, that's the end of that war. October 9th, oh, enough. Sweet Maria, we have no time for any of this. But we're gonna, what the cock is this? I'm using my phone tonight like Doug Benson. So I have no idea how this works. Uh, this was written by John Maynard Keynes, uh, a noted economist. And I, I, I'm only reading it tonight because I felt like it was written by Noam Chomsky. Capitalism is the extraordinary belief that the nastiest of men for the nastiest of motives will somehow work for the benefit of all. <laughs> I've really never heard a better... Karl Marx never had a better definition of capitalism than that. There is no way you can expect any person with money to, to, to behave in the public good. There is no way. But what about the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick it up your arse. The World Cup. Two things about the World Cup. It's been extraordinary so far. I, I don't know if anyone likes footy here. I, I, I lived in England. Uh, Jennifer and I lived there for like five years. And believe me, on Sunday afternoon, there was nothing on telly but Serie A Italia. And, uh, and then the, the Premier League and shit like that. Did we grow to love it there? No. We didn't go to matches and shit like that. I'm not saying I'm an expert on uh, football, soccer. Uh, but I did go to the World Cup in 2006, and I saw Ghana, USA, Italy, USA, Netherlands, Argentina, and watched about a thousand other matches. And if you go to the World Cup, it's the Olympics mixed with the World Series mixed with uh, uh, the, the what's that show by uh, Cirque du Soleil? Oh, <laughs> it's 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 more than you could possibly imagine. Football means more to the world than any other sport. And I'm tired of reading the article by white guys, which, yes, there's been a couple still this year. Will America ever take soccer on with a I've got an idea for ESPN and sports and everything like this. Understand this. The Women's World Cup soccer team, the women's soccer team, which the Women's World Cup's next year in Canada. Um, we have a ring. We won a Women's World Cup. And last time round, four years ago, five, three, four, I'm bad at math. Um, we were in the final and we lost to Japan. And have more wins than any men's team could ever dream of fucking having. It forces uh, ESPN to deal with a couple of issues. One, that women are athletes. And two, that the Women's World Cup team is better than any men's World Cup team that's ever taken the pitch. <laughs> Having said that, this is a better World Cup team 
than we've had in quite some time. And Jurgen Klinsmann is an awesome coach for this team. And uh, Jones' goal the other night was sexy as fuck. And Dempsey's goal was off the deep end. Dempsey... Dempsey looks like he's going to fall asleep from pellagra at some point. He's got a black eye. He doesn't weigh anything. He falls down on the ground, and you're like, are you getting up, Dempsey? And then he, 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 he didn't head one in the other night. He chested one in. Or it was kind of his belly button. He fucking, like, belly buttoned a ball into the fucking goal. It was pretty groovy. Having said that, uh, FIFA and the world, uh, the IOOC or whatever the cock it's called, the Olympic Committee and, the, and FIFA, the organization that organizes the World Cup, are the most horrible, uh, corporate, disgusting, um, white-driven, fucking money-oriented pieces of shit that ever existed in the history of sport. Sport is here to uplift us, like theater, uh, like song. Uh, like poetry, like the connection between man and woman, like grapes. There's nothing like a grape. When you eat a grape, you're like, and it's a ripe one, and it's fucking right on the money, and it's fucking, as Guy Fieri would say, on point. (laughs) We're going to a place in Tampacola, Florida that's whites only, where they have grapes. (laughs) I'm Guy Fieri. Sometimes you get a grape or an oyster or a walnut or a, a, an almond or a Marcona almond or a glass of wine or whatever it is. And the first bite, you're like, oh, sh- shit. <laughs> right? A piece of cheese that you haven't had before. An Emmentaler that was handed to you by a friend. Uh, a, a, a slice of French bread that was absolutely perfectly fucking crunchy on the outside. A piece of fish that you went, oh, fuck, no. <laughs> uh, uh, whatever it is that, that it is, you know what I mean? That perfect bite is uh, what we're all uh, looking for. And I, I really feel like, um, in some ways, the World Cup this year... Uh, 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 the, the giant corporations that run it can't kill what is exquisite about sport. Uh, and what is exquisite about sport is the competition, uh, or tuition, the competition. <laughs> well, all right! How many people here like to taste the competition? Whether it's Billie Jean King, or who, who just won the, uh, the golf tourney? Was it the young. Uh, what was her name? Michelle Wee. Yeah, Michelle Wee. Fucking bad assery. Michelle Wee was a teenage golfer, and she's carried on being an extraordinary golfer. Um, women have excelled in so many sports, but sports is largely a male domain, and that's why ESPN really hates fucking reporting on it and shit like that. And you still get uh, these recherche, uh, recondite, fucking uh, unrepentant troglodyte types who won't, yeah, fucking get with the program. But the point is this. Um, they can do nothing to destroy the game. The game is beautiful. The people you're watching in the World Cup, men's and women's, are the best several hundred that play uh, that are pulled forward into the giant system that is the sucking fucking incubus that is the world. <laughs> I guarantee you there's a soccer player uh, uh, in a ghetto, in a favela in Brazil. I guarantee you there's a woman in Montana who's as good as anyone that ever fucking played, uh, but they're not going to get known just because, or just as as if you know uh, no comedian is as funny as your cousin you know what I mean <laughs> am I right and no woman is as beautiful as the girl that works at the thing and no guy is as suave as the dude you met at the thing 
Not everyone rises to the commercial level of their amplitude that allows them to be a, a sucking whore that uh, is a leech that is the, uh, what did the Sibionese Liberation Army say? That, that preys upon the masses. You know what I'm getting at. Uh, Everybody's everybody, and everybody's beautiful. And uh, um, I believe it was Sly and the Family Stone who said, uh, I am no different, and neither are you. Uh, yeah, stiff all in the collar. Uh, right? The World Cup is a, a groovy event, never the mind uh, uh, what corporate influences happen. Uh, for all the people who were watching in Africa who had uh, their lives taken because they dared to watch and extremists and uh, people who have evil on their minds have done evil on them. Uh, Our thoughts go out to them always. Um, However, I will say this. It's great fun. Um, Do yourself a favor and pour yourself a beer with a bunch of ice in it and some lime juice and fucking watch Costa Rica play. Or, wow, a bell just went off. (laughs) Like I was giving a Buddhist incantation. This is fantastic. And the crowd goes quiet. Uh, uh, but yeah, a $300 million stadium built in the middle of the jungle that's going to be used for four matches while people starve. Uh, I, I hate to keep quoting Blake, but the dog starved at the master's gate predicts the ruin of the state. Very quickly, uh, Jen wrote me this letter. Dear Greg, I don't think you've done. I think you've done so much coke that you don't actually have a palate that's able to taste things. There's absolutely nothing sweet about chartreuse. I said that chartreuse was sweet two weeks ago on a podcast, and someone has accused me of doing too much coke to have taste buds. I have done drugs. I do not do coke on a regular basis. Uh, my wife will bear me out on this. If I did, I would be lying in bed sweating next to her, not sleeping. And she'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So I think I can verify this one pretty well. Uh, have I done coke? Sure. Should you? Mm. Let me ask you this. Do you have any? It is an Austrian and not Northern European. I don't understand how you insulted it on a show that took place in Finland. Quite frankly, it's among the most evolved and significant herbal liquors. Quite a bit more pleasant than Fernet or Campari. You might consider rethinking things and trying this particular liquor again. It's quite lovely, especially when combined with gin. Chartreuse and gin is what Jen is uh, suggesting. By all means, I value your perspective. Clearly, you know little about booze that is not vodka. Jen, I respect what you have to say. Jen, the day I mix gin with chartreuse and drink it in public is the day I wear a hat with a fucking bunch of macaws on it. (laughs) When I wear an Aloha shirt and a Speedo (laughs) is when you may expect that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, now we have some time. Um, a lot of people have, uh, as the uh, American Indians say, I detest uh, the phrase Native American. I agree with George Carlin, as I've said. Indian uh, uh, works for me. Uh, 
Native Americans makes them live under our flag, which I don't dig at all. So let me put it that way. Uh, walked on. That's what the Indians say. Walked on. Bob Welch was a pitcher. Uh, he pitched for the Los Angeles Dodgers and had an extraordinary uh, a duel with Reggie Jackson in the 1978 World Series. He also pitched for the Oakland Athletics and um, uh, was a, a beloved person. He walked on. Rick Mayall. Rick Mayall. I know. Rick Mayall swirling in heaven. I met Rick Mayall at a, uh, uh, an event I did in England several years ago, and he was absolutely as fucking lovely as you would imagine he would. There is nothing about Rick Mayall that you imagine that he wasn't. He was that cool. He is in heaven right now in a giant violet ring swirling around. Him and Charlie Chaplin are fucking making each other laugh. Rick, De- Rick Mayall was in Bottom. Rick Mayall was in The Young Ones. Rick Mayall was partners with Aid Edmondson. And this is my favorite thing. I'm not going to read an obituary and we're not going to get into it. This was famously exhibited in a letter he wrote to a fan in 2008. An autograph hunter named Dan emailed a representative mail in the hope of adding a, sig- a signature to his collection. A month later, he received this handwritten response in the post. This is <laughs> from a site called The Quietest. Here you are, you cheapskate, money-grubbing Welsh cunt. <laughs> Where's the fucking envelope, you deformity? All of that is crossed out. He wrote it by hand. It's crossed out. Completely legible, but crossed out. And then this part. Here you are, Daniel. Thank you so much for writing. I hope you like the picture. Best wishes, my dear friend. Signed, Rick Mayall. You deformity. (laughs) Sweet fucking Maria. I did a show and it was, uh, my wife convinced me to do it. And uh, quite right, she was. It was a Peter Cook benefit. And it was was the Peter Cook Foundation. It it was, what a great show. Terry Jones directed it. Michael Palin was there. Uh, Josie was there, me. uh, 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 Dom Jolly, uh, 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 Jonathan Ross. Dave Badil, uh, Mail, uh, Rick, at Ed Amundsen and Rick Mail. Um, it was it was off the fucking deep end. Like I had a boner the whole time I was walking around. And uh, uh, everyone did sketches by Cook and Moore, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, but they didn't do them very well. Aid Edmondson and Rick Mail wrote their own sketch, and it was they were dead. And the lightning flash, that was the opening of the sketch. They were clearly dead and they were in the afterworld. And Rick Mail's first line was, fuck, 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 where's the bar? That was the first line of their sketch. And that was when I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> Ruby D. Ruby D is an orange uh, dessert being served off the corner of paradise. 91 years old. Ruby D, yeah, I'm reading it off my phone, like Doug Benson style. One of the most enduring actresses of theater and film, and her husband, of course, Aussie Davis. They come as a match set. Um, a leading advocate for civil rights, Donnie Dun- oh, Cock. What the fuck is that? Oh, I can't operate my phone. 
a persistence, uh, a diminutive beauty with a sense of persistent social distress. <laughs> That's beautifully written. Uh, persistent social distress. This is Bruce Weber who wrote this. Um, is a beautiful way of putting it. Let's put it another way. She was aware of what was going on in the world around her, and she responded to it like a human being. She didn't pretend that she had to go along with the corporate uh, through line, and she didn't pretend the government had our best interests in mind. At any point during the long 91 years that she lived as a black woman in this country, um, Ruby D was formidable and a bad asador of the highest caliber. We talked about Maya Angelou on the last, um, or one of the previous podcasts. In any case, the fact that all these women are passing and walking on uh, is not surprising because they're so old, but, and it's not a tragedy because they've lived a full life. But the import and the impact of Ruby Dee and Ossie Davis can hardly be under described. When you think about all the fatuous bullshit that goes on in motion pictures and show business, and that two people had the temerity to be friends with Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and to fight for civil rights, and to be the first black people to do all these different movies, and to have the kind of courage and awesomeness, uh, and straight backed fucking... Um, Charisma and, 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 and absolute, you know, there's nothing not to respect about Ruby Dee. Uh, she uh, was in an Atoll Food Guard drama. He's a South African playwright. Bozeman and Lena, that was in 1970. Uh, her most famous performance came in her, uh, A Raisin in the Sun, Lorraine Hansberry, the immortal playwright, American playwright's drama about the quotidian struggle of a black, you can tell a white person wrote that. <laughs> of a black family, he's a good quotidian. <laughs> Ms. D played Ruth Younger da, da, da. later they made a picture of it with Sidney Poitier and it's magnificent the play had 530 performances um, and this is the part I wanted to get to before my own sick uh, fascinations what, uh, aside from everything else that Ruby D did and Ruby D did everything um, she played uh, she played Jackie Robinson's wife in the Jackie Robinson story which was a cheapy movie made after Jackie Robinson broke into the big leagues. And she played Rachel. And uh, Jackie Robinson plays Jackie Robinson in the movie The Jackie Robinson Story <laughs> from like 1950 or 51. And it's really good. Uh, she's also in No Way Out. Uh, oh, cock. I wish I could operate my phone. Fucking piece of... Here, that way. Uh... In 1965, playing Cordelia in King Lear and Kate in Taming of the Shrew, she was the first black woman to appear in major roles at the American Shakespeare Festival in Stratford, Connecticut. 1965, ladies and gentlemen. The Civil War concluded in 1865. So when people tell you that we live on a balanced playing field and that there's no difference and that blah, 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 blah. Understand what people went through. Understand what Ruby D went through. Understand what the many generations before Ruby D went through to get to the point where we are today, where we're even discussing the notion of the illusion of the charade of equality in this fucking country. This country has a lot of fucking homework to do, and this country has a lot of fucking things to answer for. Are we answering for them? Are we doing them? Yes, we are. Is the government and the media? No. 
In no way are they. That's why I'm here. That's why people give me paintings of kittens fucking McTavish. <laughs> because I'm here to tell you that Ruby D was all that on a bag of fucking chips and shit. And whatever you heard in the media, you didn't hear enough about fucking Ruby D because she had to have extra resolve and extra courage like every woman does, like every person of color does, like everyone who's been marginalized does. Because the United States, as you know, having watched telly the last week, and if you've watched telly at all or even Netflix... <laughs> You've noticed that Dick Cheney has appeared a lot lately and that all of the apologists for the original architects of the Iraq war have been on TV to impugn Barack Obama and to impugn our policy there and to uh, intimate and uh, uh, excoriate um, what we're doing and what's happening and that somehow the current situation in Iraq and the current situation over there is somehow Barack Obama's fault when clearly we know the truth and there's what it is and what it fucking is and I really get tired of the media bending over and, 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 and if you watched you've noticed that even Fox News has been a little hesitant about playing this fucking game I don't know how old you are if you're 13 and listening in a blanket fort I uh, completely excuse you from knowing anything. If you're over 25, you need to know what's going on in your fucking world. I was a child during the war in Vietnam. I still know what happened. It's easy to read, everyone. If you're in your 30s, there's no fucking excuse for not knowing what happened 10 years ago. We went to war with Iraq in 2003 under unbelievably false pretenses. And the fact that Iraq is exploding right now and being um, a major issue and that uh, terrible awful things are happening is not is something that needs to be answered for by the people of the previous administration uh, as well as you know everyone else but Dick Cheney George W. Bush, Donald Rumsfeld Condoleezza Rice, Colin Powell uh, Lee Paul Bremer, everyone you can think of that was in the previous administration that constructed this war this is the payoff 10 years down the road. This is what happens when you destabilize a country. This is what happens when you don't fucking leave any infrastructure in. This is what happens. And I, I won't have it another way. It, it, there's no revising history when, it's, when history is only 10 years past. 9-11 uh, wasn't that long ago. Many of you remember it. Many of you were young. Many of you were whatever, teenagers. Uh, you know that the world was different before and after and not in a groovy way, in a horrible, hideous uh, Nazi uh, uh, proscribed parameters way where all of a sudden we have to ex uh, accept all these different horrible things and where terrorism is equivalent to Islam when as we know terrorism is not equivalent to Islam Terrorism is, terrorism is equivalent to men with guns running around this fucking country uh, if you want to talk about what's happening domestically and I thank you Ruby D picketed Broadway theaters that were not employing black actors. Having made her name in films, she addressed racial issues. She began seeking out more of them. She collaborated with Jules Dassin on the screenplay for Uptight. She also lent her voice... God damn you. Uh, at the Tony Award ceremony on Sunday, this is several weeks ago, because Ms. D passed. Uh, I haven't had a chance to get back at the mic since then. Since then, however, I went to Bellingham. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> 
At the Tony Awards on Sunday, Audra McDonald, in accepting her sixth acting award for her portrayal of Billie Holiday in Lady D at the Emerson's Bar and Grill, acknowledged Ms. D as one of five black women whose shoulders she stands upon. The others were Billie Holiday, Maya Angelou, Diane Carroll. Diane Carroll was the first black woman to star in her own sitcom. <laughs> We're in Hollywood. You're shallow enough to deal. <laughs> and Lena Horne. Uh, anyway, Ruby D uh, flies so high up in the sky. Let's have a couple jams, and then we're going to go. Uh, I'm, I have so many obituaries, I'm never going to get through all of them tonight. Because it's really... So many people have passed since the last show I've done, and so many people have walked on. But I did want to get one before we go. Jerry Goffin was a uh, songwriter with Carol King, and uh, on his own as well. We'll get to all the uh, uh, Navajo code talkers and all that. We'll be in Atlanta next week, and we'll have plenty of time to get through all this. Uh, here it is. Let's see. Uh, uh, Jerry Goffin, hit-making songwriter with Carole King, dies at 75. He wrote some of the biggest hits of the 60s. He also wrote... Um, what's the one with Whitney Houston? Because um, tonight is the night, and we're feeling so... What's that one called? Saving all my love for you. Thank you. Jerry Goffin wrote that one as well. Uh, play one of those gems there, Ryan. I don't fucking care. Uh, how about the animals? Play the monkeys. You'll dig this one. This is off the album Sagittarius. What is it? Capricorn. What's that album called? The monkeys got all pretentious on their fourth album. Pisces, Capricorn, Aquarius. Pisces, Capricorn, Aquarius, and Jones. Crank <laughs> this one up. Jerry Goffin wrote this. Um, this is about white people being smug. <laughs> Who's smugger than you, Greg? Nobody. <laughs> Um, please go on YouTube and watch this video. Davy Jones is pretending to play bass. <laughs> Peter Torque appears to have a tattoo on his hand. He's playing keyboards. And Mike Nesmith's doing his usual. He's way up in front with the hollow body. It's quite good. Uh, will you play uh, The Locomotion by Little Eva? This one might be... They did a musical on Broadway last year about uh, Jerry Goffin and Carol King's, excuse me, relationship called Beautiful. And Crank this one up. You'll all know this one, I think. to learn than your ABCs. It has the greatest opening line in the history of music. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. I don't think you need a lot of explaining. Uh, 
You haven't done enough. <laughs> Jerry Goffin wrote the locomotion, and you fucking didn't. <laughs> this has been the smartest man in the world. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. Thank you very much for coming out tonight. For every page that you turn to your Sacha page, for every bell that rings for you, and if you have to buy balance, make sure. Thank you, everyone. Good night.